Matthew chapter 5. I really enjoyed those, all those songs that we sang this morning and, and uh, right in there with what Jesus has to say this morning from Matthew 5, verse 5, blessed are the meek. And uh, that's, what we're, that's what we're looking at this morning. So we're going to see as we stick kind of with our theme as we work through the Beatitudes here, uh, good news. We've seen good news for the poor in spirit. We've seen good news uh, for the mourners, for those who mourn, and now we see good news for the meek. And I'm just going to read again uh, to keep us in uh, keep us in place, starting in Matthew 5, verse 1, and down through verse number 5 today. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's jump right in to prayer first before we jump in any further to the text. God, thank you for the reminders we've had in, in Scripture as we've read that, that you are the king. Thank you for the reminders that we've had in song that you are faithful and your faithfulness is great. And we've also sung about holiness. Lord, we desire holiness to reflect you. We desire holiness that, that comes from you, God. You are the author, the giver of holiness. Uh, we've, we've sang today about being meek. In this meekness, what is it, Lord? Why is it blessed? We want to know that, God. So teach us from the scripture today. We know that you are the fountain, the source of all blessing. And you alone we find this blessedness. So teach us what you mean here. Teach us what we ought to do, how we ought to think. Most importantly, teach us about you, God. You are the treasure of Scripture. You're the treasure of our life. And uh, be with us today as we worship and as we study. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, this week I read a little story, and uh, I usually don't do things like this, but I want to share it. It's a little bit humorous, but I'm going somewhere with it, so just bear with me for a minute. Uh, there was an elderly lady who made a trip to the bank one day to withdraw a small amount of cash. And uh, she approached the teller, she gave her account number, she gave her birth date, all that stuff, and, and then she asked, may I please withdraw $20 in cash from my account? Now you can picture a teller who had been there all day, probably all week, and uh, after years of customer service, this young lady had kind of grown callous to people, and in sort of a monotone voice, she rattled off one of the bank's new policies and said, for withdrawals less than $100, please use the ATM. And then she said, next please, and just kind of turned to the next person. Well, the elderly lady in line said, I don't understand. Don't I have the funds in my account? And the teller said, I'm sure you do, ma'am, but this is the bank's policy. If, if you're making a smaller transaction than $100, please refer to the ATM. Well, the lady asked kindly, would you please tell me what my current bank account balance is? It's been a while since I've checked it at this bank. With a, a sigh and maybe a roll of the eyes, the teller obliged. And then to her shock, she replied kind of in hushed tones, uh, well, ma'am, your account balance is, is just over $300,000. The lady replied back, well, I'm a little disappointed in your service today. Could I please withdraw the entirety of my account from the bank? And, uh, of course, the, the teller was just shocked, couldn't believe it. And she went to her manager, and she came back in kind of a nervous way and said, well, unfortunately, ma'am, we don't keep that much cash on hand here at the bank. 
Can you please make an appointment with our manager and, and come back another day? And the lady replied, well, no, that won't be necessary. Are you sure that I cannot withdraw a $20 bill today? And the teller said, no, ma'am, bank policy. Fine, then, the lady said. What is the most I can withdraw today? $3,000, the teller replied. I'll take that, then. So the teller withdrew it from the, the back and the safe, and she was counting out the bills to the elder lady all the way up to 3000 And then the lady took it in her hand, and she pulled out a $20 bill from the stack, placed the rest of the cash on the counter, and said, I'd like to deposit $2,980 into my account. <laughs> she got her $20, didn't she? Now, I don't think that's a true story. Maybe it, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I just read it. But I thought it brought across an interesting point. Uh, we're talking about meekness today. And I don't know whether the lady in the story was really meek or not, but she certainly was clever. Um, but what the story illustrated in my mind is something else. Oftentimes, in fact, almost always, when we look at someone, there is much more than meets the eye. Often under the cover of, of gentleness or quietness and humility, there is great strength and wisdom. Well, Jesus says in our passage today, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Now, if you view a dictionary entry in a modern dictionary for the definition of meekness, you'll read something like this, quiet, gentle, and easily imposed on. If you look in a modern thesaurus for adjectives for meekness, you'll find things like quiet, tame, shy, timid, or even wimpish. Now, I give you those definitions because typically when the word meek is used today in our context, those are the thoughts that come to the mind for the modern reader or the modern listener. And I think because of that, because language tends to change over the years, meekness often has a negative connotation in our ears. Sort of the thought is, to be blunt, well, nobody wants to be a meek pushover. Maybe society would have us believe that meekness is the equivalent of being a doormat or the teacher's pet, right? Nobody wants to be that person. No boldness, no confidence, no self-esteem, no potential. Maybe that's the assumption. But I think as we look at Scripture, starting here with the words of Jesus, the word he is using to refer here to meekness and the examples that the Bible gives of this kind of blessed meekness I think we'll find that much with the lady at the bank, there is more than meets the eye. There's more than meets the eye when we look at meekness. And that's kind of what we want to look at and discover today. And here's maybe the big idea, uh, the, the big thought wrapped up in a sentence. Meekness or blessed meekness is not weakness or cowardice. Rather, it's gentleness, submission, waiting for and trusting in the Lord for life and eternity. Following the pattern of the last few weeks, we'll see it in three ways. What is blessed meekness? What does blessed meekness look like? And what is the good news for the meek? Firstly, what is blessed meekness? If we look at these Beatitudes in a progression, and I believe they are meant to be read in progression, one after the other, then we get a clue as to where Jesus is going with this. And one of the reasons I think that is because one of the prophecies that Jesus fulfills gives us a starting place or maybe a, a picture of meekness. 
In Matthew 12, verses 19 and 20, we read, uh, as Matthew tells, this is a prophecy Jesus fulfilled. It says of the Messiah, He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed will he not break, and a smoldering wick will he not quench until he brings justice to victory. In other words, Jesus is prophesied as one who will not quarrel loudly. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick. In other words, he won't display his strength and authority just because he could. I remember a time as a, as a young boy, maybe nine or ten years old, and I was with two of my best friends that lived just down the street, maybe a half a mile, and we were in their woods, and we had this favorite pastime of trying to push down dead trees. Maybe you did that as a, as a young person, and uh, we just loved it for some reason. You know, we'd find, oh man, that one doesn't have any leaves on it. Let's see if we can do it. And we'd push and push, and if it would topple over, it would just make our day. It was for whatever reason. And uh, one day we were doing that, and my friend's dad came to us, and he said, why are you pushing down these trees? You're making a mess out of my woods. And our reply was, one of us said, because we can. <laughs> and maybe that's all the reasoning I had as a young boy to think, why am I doing this? Well, because I can. It felt good to do something just because I could. It was in our boyhood yearning to display our strength, even if it was for no reason. But Jesus, as that prophecy told, would have strength that was under control. He would have true meekness. Oftentimes, meekness, and maybe in your passage, or maybe in your version of the scripture, it's translated as humility, and it is humility, but meekness is not all of humility. Uh, rather, I think humility here for these blessed ones is kind of wrapped up as we read this progression. Poorness of spirit, mourning, and meekness all together point to humility. In other words, a meek or a humble man is one who realizes his poverty of spirit. He mourns over his own condition and the condition of the world around him. But he doesn't take that as an opportunity to display his own strength. He doesn't take it as an opportunity or a chance to forge his own path or to push his own agenda. Rather, realizing his great need, he's humble, he's gentle, and he waits for the Lord to act in righteousness and justice. As we're defining meekness, though, I think a lot of it has to come, as it usually does, in defining what it is not. For instance, meekness often gets equated with weakness or timidity. And maybe meek and weak are equated because they, they rhyme, but a rhyme doesn't make a synonym. Meekness and weakness are not synonyms. And on the contrary, meekness and strength aren't exclusive of each other. Someone who is naturally timid or shy or weak as a character trait can't automatically claim meekness. You could be weak and timid in mind, but still not patient and trusting and waiting for the Lord. And on the other hand, being introverted and quiet does not naturally make you meek. Uh, the other hand, being strong and loud and boisterous just as a personality trait doesn't necessarily make you not meek. You could be a very strong person, a person who's very determined, but you still could be found quietly waiting and trusting in the Lord, seeking for Him to act. Some are quiet and reserved and introverted, but they're just wishing 
They had a more outgoing, gregarious, go get em kind of spirit. And we see that meekness is not necessarily just a personality trait. It's, it's a blessed condition. Meekness in the realm of God's kingdom is gentle, quiet, and trusting because the meek don't seek to push their own agenda. They're not self-assertive in that context. They're not entirely self-confident. They know who they are. They know their condition, and they know the condition of the world around them. But the mark of blessed meekness that I think we see in Scripture, and we'll see some examples, is trusting in and waiting on the Lord. The meek man doesn't, exist, or doesn't insist on his own rights or, or getting what he has earned because he knows what his rights are and he knows that what he has earned is something that he would rather not have. But when you know your poverty of spirit, you mourn over that and that of the world, you realize that God, he's a source of strength. He's a source of righteousness and he is a source of justice. Ephesians 6, verse number 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In this passage, Paul, of course, goes on to speak about the armor of the Lord. And we realize that it's not the believer's lot in life to simply be weak. Rather, we are strong and we are called to be strong, but it's in the Lord. And that's the defining factor, perhaps. Meekness is not weakness, it's strength in the Lord. And its strength is it's often defined as strength under control. So what does blessed meekness look like then? As I was studying this week, and perhaps you've already thought in this way as you're reading this morning, two major characters in Scripture come to mind when I think of Moses. And the first one, chronologically, is Moses. And uh, that's for a particular reason, because in Numbers 12, verse 3, it says... Now the man Moses was very meek, or humble, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Now if you're a student of scripture, you may have asked the question and thought, didn't Moses write that? That's not very meek and or humble of him, is it? Well, some think that maybe that was added as a comment later after Moses' death. But listen, even if he did write it, he wrote it, as we believe, under God's inspiration, and either way, because of that, Moses is remembered as meek. In, in, in other words, his life displayed as meekness. That sentence just kind of sums it up. Moses is remembered and revered as both an incredible leader and also a very meek man. He faced, consider this, the most powerful man, the most powerful ruler in the world at that time, and out of that led a host of captives into freedom. He was used to do miracles, to give revelation, to part waters, to be a go-between or a mediator between God and his people. Moses was an incredible man, there's no doubt, but he was meek. He did not lack strength, he didn't lack power, he was given those things. It was God-given. Do you remember Moses at his calling? Uh, he was timid. He was nervous. He, he, he used his slowness of speech. Maybe it was a stutter. And he said, Lord, just send somebody else. God gave him some help in that, but he didn't send somebody else. He still sent Moses. 
And what did God say to him in that instance? And what does he say to his people over and over again? He says, I will be with you. Moses' strength and his leadership wasn't just his personality. It was God-given. Moses knew his poor condition. He, nobody had to tell him that he was a weak man naturally. But meekness is not weakness. It's strength under control. It's strength, maybe more importantly, in the Lord. But definitely, without a doubt, the greatest example of meekness, like any righteous condition, is found in the Lord Jesus. Maybe a couple examples of that. Uh, one is in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. These are incredibly comforting verses. You're probably familiar with them. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. That word there, gentle, is the same word for the word meek that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes. Jesus says to the workers, to the laborers, the ones who are trying to get it done on their own, he says to them, come to me and rest. We've said that, that meekness is, is resting or trusting and waiting in the Lord. Well, here the, the meek Lord calls us to become meek in him. Rather than just pressing on and getting it done on our own, he calls us to rest in him, for he is meek and lowly. His yoke is easy. We will find rest for our souls in him. Another example of Jesus' meekness is in another prophecy that he fulfilled, this time at his triumphal entry, where uh, this, is, this is quoted from the Old Testament, say to the daughter of Zion, uh, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, in the foal of a beast of burden. In this prophecy where Jesus was predicted to, and in fact did ride in uh, to Jerusalem on a donkey, on a beast of burden, it said that he would be humble. Again, there that word is the same word that's translated meek in the Beatitudes. We know that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy in every way, and an important way he fulfilled it is in the fact that he was humble. He was meek. Now, we typically don't think of a ruler and a king as being meek and humble, but perhaps that's because we wrongly think of those terms in our mind. Of course, we know that Jesus wasn't weak or timid. Uh, he is, after all, the one who turned the tables and drove the merchants out with a whip. He is, after all, the one who called the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchers. He was not a timid or a weak man in any sense of the word. We hear of Jesus meek and mild, and we, we think of this just shell of a man who has no motivation, no self-confidence, nothing. He's just sitting there wasting away on a stool. But that's not Jesus. Jesus was strong. He's a warrior. He's the victorious one. And as strong and a mighty captain, he's not meek and mild as if he's servile and a weak individual. No, he's meek because he has all power, and all authority, yet he wields it wisely, and his example on earth is really important. His example on earth is one of submission to the Father. 
Again, not because of weakness, but he's displaying meekness. There are many examples of meekness in Scripture. Uh, I'd like to give one more, one that maybe we can really sink our teeth into for a minute. And uh, Matt read from Psalm 37 earlier in the, in the service, and I want to go to that Scripture again. Uh, Psalm 37 we don't have time to, to cover everything, but I want to, to jump around a little bit through a few verses. Math, or Psalm 37, verse number one says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. I like the, the song that Gary led us in. Well, maybe we'll learn to sing it sometime, but I enjoyed reading those words, and it comes right from these thoughts. And to fret here is to be stirred up. It gives a picture of, of writhing, to, to wring your hands. Now that's the opposite of meekness. Meekness is not driven to, to personal action on account of yourself. Meekness isn't driven to revenge or retribution, and neither is it driven to envy over the prospering of the wicked. Another example, uh, verse number three, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Here is kind of an alternative. Rather than being stirred up to anger and wringing your hands seeking retribution, the meek man trusts in the Lord and does good. It's almost like the image that Jesus used in the parable about the man who has his hand to the plow. Don't look back. Don't look around. Just trust the Lord and do good. Another one, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So here, rather than being envious of the wicked and what they can gain in their wickedness, the delight of a meek man is in the Lord. Our desires are God's desires. Our desires really are, are God himself. We're looking to him as our goal and as our prize. The next verse, verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Here is the hope of the meek, because the question will no doubt be asked, what about when there is real injustice? What about when I've been wronged? What about when something is clearly out of place? Trust in the Lord, and he will act. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him. This is where meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness. We aren't to take every evil into our own hands to enact vengeance. No, as Scripture tells us, that is the Lord's. Verse number 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Here's that call again, to fret not, to be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. You know, sometimes we are still in everything except for our mind, right? We're still in body. We're sitting down, laying down perhaps. But in our mind, in our soul, we are everything but still. We're trembling and writhing with impatience. The call here is to be patient, to be still before the Lord, to wait patiently for Him. Verse 8, refrain from anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself, it only tends to evil. 
The meek man realizes that being stirred up to anger and wrath, being stirred up to take revenge into our own hands only lends itself to evil. And then finally, in verses 9 through 11, the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be cut off, will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Jesus, of course, as the big author of Scripture, was familiar with Psalm 37 when he spoke in the Beatitudes and said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. And when we look at this in context, we see that contrast. Do you see it? The wicked will be cut off, but we don't have to be the ones to cut them off. Ultimate justice is God's prerogative. Ours is to wait patiently. Ours is to trust him. And as the psalm tells us, he will act. He will act. So what then in this, in all of this, is the good news for the meek? The promise for the meek, both there in Psalm 37 and here in Matthew 5, is that they will inherit the earth or inherit the land. It follows the theme, right? For Again, for the, the meek, the mourner, the poor in spirit, the, the inheritance is a kingdom inheritance. We were placed on this earth, created to have dominion over it and to subdue it, to work and to till it, to be productive, to be creative in it. We reflect God's image in doing that, but the sinful temptation, I think, is to take control. It is to take the earth as if God does not exist. But the meek rather know that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it. And only in Him can we fulfill that design. But also this inheritance goes beyond a chunk of turf here and now. There is coming an eternal inheritance in the new heaven and the new earth where God's righteous people will dwell in final peace. I think Psalm 37 alludes to that. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. One day evil will be cut off and defeated, and those who are waiting for the Lord are on the victory side of that. The desire of the poor in spirit, the, the mourners, the desire of those people is for wrongs to be righted, for justice to be served, for sin to be turned to righteousness. And we can't push that and accomplish it by force. We must wait on the Lord. Again, Psalm 37, 11, the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Now to each temporal promise in Scripture, uh, I think there are, there are benefits that reach into eternity. Of course, we want peace here and now, and we have that. Our benefit in meekness is peace now, peace in Christ, peace that passes understanding. But ultimately, the final battle is the Lord's. There is ultimate victory. Now, as Jesus said this, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It would have been difficult for some of Jesus' listeners to hear or to stomach. Some of them, even some of his own disciples, 
were, in their past, hyper-fixated on the political state of their nation. Because of the less-than-ideal uh, relationship and the subservience to the Roman government at the time of Jesus, there was a group in particular called the Zealots who were constantly trying to stir up political trouble. You can read about them in history books. Now, in their good desire to inherit the land, as God had promised, they were looking for a Messiah that would also be politically focused, that would be primarily a, a, a political warrior and an avenger and bring them freedom, in that case, from Roman oppression. But I think part of what Jesus is saying here is that's not the big picture. And when these people hear, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land, it may have seemed so backwards, uh, so servile, so weak. Yes, the citizens of the kingdom will be victorious and inherit the land, but it won't be by force or personal might. It will be as we are strong in the Lord. Earlier I alluded to Ephesians 6 where Paul speaks of the armor of God. We're told to be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might, as we fight the real battle, which is not against flesh and blood, but against the enemy. We are to take up the whole armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That is the armor and the weaponry for the meek. And notice, it's all of the Lord. Every element of that armor and the sword we fight with is given to us by God. If you look back in history, you'll see eras where even Christians have attempted to spread the kingdom by way of the sword. That's not our call. That's not our aim. Our weapons are, and our warfare are not steel and flesh, but they are spirit and truth. Now this is true both corporately as we cannot bring the kingdom in by force or by battle, but it's also true personally. What I mean by that is we cannot fight our way into the kingdom by our own force, by our own strength. If we see our poverty of spirit, we mourn over our condition, we go the wrong way if we try to remedy those things by might. The meek man doesn't say that I'm unholy and I'm condemned, so I am going to try my best to make myself holy, and that will gain me entrance into the kingdom. The meek man doesn't say, I'm in poverty before God, so let me earn riches, and then maybe he will accept me. The meek man rather says, I'm poor and condemned. I see the wicked around me prospering, but I'm going to run rather to the Lord. Let me run to the Savior. Let me cease from my side efforts of pushing my own agenda, and let me go to the Savior in whom there is rest for my weak and weary soul. And in that trusting in the Lord, in that finding rest and peace in Him, there is great victory. There is a victory we could have never won in our own strength. We are weak, and He is strong. Only in Him are we made strong. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23 says this, Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death 
or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. You see that progression? Why is it that we will inherit the earth? Because we are Christ's, and Christ is God's. We won't gain our inheritance because we've earned it. No, an inheritance is never earned, is it? An inheritance comes from position. And we have been placed into the family of God. The poor in spirit, the mourners, and the meek are placed into the line of that inheritance, a godly inheritance, inheritance of the earth. The meek in Christ are in a blessed position. Now, the irony of this whole thing is that a meek man is a man who would never seek to conquer the earth. Uh, A meek person is a person who probably would never lift up a sword to take a nation or plunder the spoils of battle. Meekness would probably not seek to conquer the earth, but still, Jesus says, that will be our inheritance. So blessed are you and I, not when we seek to take charge and take things into our own hands. Blessed are you and I, not when we either tremble in timidity, but rather blessed are you and I when we trust in the Lord, when we wait upon Him, when we delight in Him and seek His ways. That is true meekness. And the meek, as Jesus said, are blessed, for they shall inherit the earth.